Welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Yen Schiphol. That is Steve Jones. And Yen's today on the program. We have a guest who's been on the program before. It's been a couple of years, but uh, but we have him back. It's uh, Mr. Jim McCarty from the Yardbirds. So really excited about this chat. That's awesome. Welcome, uh, the Yardbirds. That is a blast from the past, man. Yes, yes. A rock and roll Hall of Fame inducted band, um, of course. And fantastic. Uh, yeah, legend precedes him. And he's, I mean, they've had, you know, a number of incredible guitarists in that band. I mean, are you familiar with some of the guitarists who have passed through the Yardbirds at different times? You know, I was at one time, although um, can't really bring anything up, but I know there's some big, big, big names. Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, and Eric Clapton. I was oh. going to say Eric Clapton. Yes. And now I'm remembering we recently had this conversation um, about some big names that went through the Yardbirds. I mean, holy shit. Right? Right? So there's been one staple in the Yardbirds throughout their uh, their career. Other artists have, you know, musicians have come and gone and contributed in different fashions. But Jim McCarty uh, been there uh, since the beginning and uh, has a number of stories to tell. He also has a uh, new book that uh, came out called She Walks in Beauty. Um, it's an interesting uh, story, uh, really kind of laced with um, kind of spirituality and um, what, how would you describe it? Uh, you know, kind of I don't know how to describe it. What am, what am I missing? I'm missing words. It's like, uh, <laughs> you're, 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 it's, so it's like, it's like an experience. There you go. It's, uh, so his, his wife died, uh, recent, you know, and in, in, I think it was about a year and a half ago in 2020, well, 2020. And, um, and he wrote this book, um, afterwards and it's kind of him kind of going through the experience of, you know, losing her and kind of seeing her and kind of feeling her presence in different capacities is a way I'd put it, so. That's um, powerful, yeah. Yes, yes, so um, so we'll bring Jim in in just a little bit, but it's been a little while since we've caught up and the only way we catch up yet is on the pod, so. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, we spend more time interacting through the pod than we actually do in real life. That's a problem. We need to work on that. And so yeah, seriously. Uh, but but you have a you have a story to start us out, huh? Yeah, I got. It's not you know not a big huge story. It's one of those unexpected things you know that happens uh, when you own a home, and um, you know people say things like, "Oh, you've really got to buy a house because it's a great investment," and you know you you buy it, you get a good price, and hopefully you know you sit on it and everything appreciates and then you've got you know a nice big huge chunk of change you know if you can eventually pay it off um that might help you into retirement and all this stuff or it might help you you buy another house um but dude the people that say that they don't (laughs) they don't really tell you what the reality of the situation is like in terms of all the crazy expenses uh you know that go into buying a home now i'm not talking about like buying a brand new house that's a different story um but if you want to live in a particular area sometimes you just don't have a lot of choice right you got to buy a house that's 10 years old 20 years old 30 years old you know whatever Um, so so so, remind me so you're you've lived in your house i want to say like six years um and uh how old is your house 
this house was built in 86, I think. Okay, and is, uh, is my six year estimate about right? I think it's been more like eight years. Wow, okay. Yeah, I think it's been like eight or nine years in this house. And, um, and this house has had some peculiar issues. Uh, you know, some of them, like I said before, unexpected, you know, things happen that you would normally wouldn't ever dream of, you know, happening to a house or, you know, or, or just dealing with it. So um, to get right to the point, uh, you and I have been talking a little bit about how I've been working on uh, repairing leaks. Yes. So, so uh, shortly before, you know, we got our first storm, um, I realized that some of the sprinkler valves um, uh, were leaking, right? Now the sprinkler heads themselves, but the actual control units that are next to the house that are, you know, wired into your um, uh, sprinkler controller. Sure. And, um, you know, that happens, whatever. Um, they're the pain to fix, but at least it's all, you know, above ground. Um, and you can just kind of do it without really having to dig a whole lot. Uh, you know, or open up walls or, you know, whatever other, you know, rip up a toilet or whatever other plumbing issues people have. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Of course. The sprinklers lead to the toilet, it leads to the shower. And, you know, yeah. And you, right. Right. Yeah. And, and you never know, you know, you, you trust that the pipes are good. You know, I mean, it's an 80s house. So, you know, back then they put in good, um, the good piping. It's not like pipes made out of lead or, you know, whatever. It should be all copper and sturdy. Um, so then I, I plugged all the, uh, I pl God, dude, I plugged all the sprinklers, you know, up and, uh -huh. you know, tested them. Um, unfortunately, the storms were coming, you know, and uh, I did a lot of the, the fixing during the, during while it was raining outside. <laughs> Something was yes. happening at night, you know, and it's like, I just need to get this stuff fixed because I hate, I hate paying for stuff that you don't have to pay for, especially when it's like your water bill. You know, if, you, if your water yeah. bill doesn't have to be that high because you have a leak, you want to get that fixed. Because if you don't get that fixed, it's like going to the ATM, you know, and saying, I'm going to withdraw $200. And then you see the lighting money coming it on out fire. in the 20s. Right. And you grab it and you get your lighter and you freaking light it on fire. And you do that every month. And it's like that with, you know, water or electricity or, um, you know, whatever else uh, <laughs> one has to pay for. So... So we get our electricity bill. It's two hundred and fucking eighty dollars. Wow. Okay. Sorry, yeah, not electricity. You... Well, you took water oh, bill. Water. Water okay, bill. Okay. Two, two eighty. <laughs> right. It's just me and my wife and our little dog, and we don't have kids. Uh, the sprinklers have been turned off because of the storms for over a month. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, dude, that's insane. We've never paid that much for water ever. Right. So, um, so, uh, so it turns out um with my amazing investigative skills um i saw a uh near the sprinkler systems coincidentally i saw that water was flowing from underneath the concrete where our driveway is oh. so it like it like there's a little stream of water that comes from underneath the concrete and kind of just pools into where all of the irrigation system is and it's been and doing that like, for a month I don't know how long it's been doing it, but it's definitely been doing it for at least a month. And I didn't really know how 
bad it was, um, I guess, until we got our electricity bill. Our, why do I keep on saying still, that? Still uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I should take a look at our electricity bill, too. Maybe that's another <laughs> There might issue. be something there. There might be something <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. There might be something there. So you know, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. So today, I figured out um, you know, that obviously the leak is between the shutoff valve for the house yeah. and the and the meter, you know, like the water meter at the street. So when I when I turn the whole when I turn the main house valve off, so yeah. no water is in the house at all, nothing. Flush the toilet once, you know, and then it doesn't refill, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, the uh, the water is still flowing uh, from underneath the, the the driveway, and the meter water meter uh, on the road is still going around. So I I um, I had the water off uh, in that configuration for an hour. And I took mm -hmm. a picture of the meter when it began, and then an hour later, when uh, you know when I stopped recording it. Yeah. And um, so I did the calculation, and we're losing a gallon of water an hour. Wow. Okay. And this has been going on for at least a month. No and, wonder uh, we're in a drought. This is explains so so much, Hans. I mean, I yeah. appreciate your acknowledging this to the concert pipeline audience and really just kind of coming clean as to why we're in such a bad drought because it's been boggling our mind with how much rain we've had and the drought has just been. We know the stem of it now, and this is you know it is. You're gonna make everybody whole. We appreciate that. Uh, uh, yeah. Once I get this <laughs> shit fixed. <laughs> the drought's going to be over like overnight it'll be this overnight yeah. sensation where everyone's gonna be oh my god we don't know what happened but there's no more drought our reservoirs are full and blah blah blah, blah. yeah that'd be nice uh so i guess what really got my well got my ass going was when i took a look at the last water bill i never yeah. really pay attention to the water bill ever i just never think that's ever you know going to be an issue because we just don't use a lot of water and uh and uh, there was a, you know, how they hit, like for every month they have a, uh, they have a graph, right? For the whole year. Sure. And every yeah, month yeah. It shows you, you how, what your water usage is. And what's really cool is it compares it to, um, to what your neighbors, you know, what everyone yeah. else in the county is using. And we were significantly higher almost every month um, for the entire year. Wow. So I'm like, shit, how long has this leak been going on? Did and you check back on your bills and how much it's cost and everything? I've been too oh. scared to like go back and look throughout the years to see how bad this was. I mean, as far as I know, we might have had this leak when we bought the house. It just slowly gets worse and worse and worse. I don't know. I've, uh -huh. I've never noticed the water pooling up like it has uh, before. I mean, that that was a thing that I just noticed last month, and it's pretty easy to see kind of when that's happening. But I don't know. I mean, maybe the maybe the the runoff was going someplace else and it just now accumulated in that area. So how do you I fix know, it? What's going on? What's going on? That, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's the big story. So how do you how do you fix a leak that's underneath your driveway? You know, so of right. course like I freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to get a jackhammer. I'm gonna have to like completely demolish the entire driveway and get a shovel and just start digging until you know, I find the pipe and I find you the hole. You wouldn't get a what? consultation before you get to this point. You're the type, you're going to go out, get the jackhammer and just start going at it, yeah. right? You're going. I'm a DIY guy, right? <laughs> I like to do it myself, dude. If I can save a few bucks, I'll do that. And then I started 
thinking about this more and more and like, hell no, there is no way I am going to go and do that. That's impossible. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to spend more money paying chiropractic bills after I'm done with that. Oh, so I did some research, found a company with like amazing reviews and they had the special equipment. And I had no idea this even existed, but I completely nerded out as I was reading about this. So they'll come and they've got the special equipment that detects what's going on behind a wall or underneath concrete or underneath dirt. Yeah. And I, I don't fully understand how this works, but there's like, um, they can get a visual, you know, they can get like a, you know, like, um, like extra you know vision. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like extra vision, you know, like in the military, they've got these headsets or whatever, these goggles and they can, they can see heat. Sure. Yeah. You know, like behind a wall, they yeah. can see. Yeah three Different three people shades, behind the wall yeah, yeah because uh -huh, the heat yeah. or something it's kind of like that but it's detecting water so i don't know if it's detecting like movement you know water movement or something um and then there's a sound thing so so they can they can hear the water trickling you know underneath yeah. the surface or behind a wall um so then so basically they come and they they locate the leak with their equipment and then um instead of you know tearing up the entire driveway they just tear up the piece of the driveway and then they go in there and then they you know fix fix the leak sounds like a lot more realistic it sounds awesome yeah so i was like oh that's really cool i would love to you know see them do this uh -huh. what an experience but dude just to have them come over and scan your area and tell you where the leak is and then give you an estimate before they even start fixing it that's 450 bucks Wow, so this is not going to be cheap, is what you're saying? But, no, but it's but it's something you need to do for for California. I mean, you owe this You've to California. Got it. Yeah, right? yeah, so, I know. I owe it to owe it to my neighbors. I owe it to California. Exactly. I mean, it's it's the right thing to do. Plus, when you've got um, when you've got a water leak, you're dealing with water erosion. So who the hell knows? Yeah. Um, you know what that water has eroded over over time. Yeah, you know, I, I'm hoping there isn't like a big cave down there. Yeah, like, wow, cool. It's like a cave down there with stalactites yeah. and stalagmites, and oh, that's really awesome. So anyway, that's yeah, that's kind of my big thing uh, that I'm dealing with this week. It's like a wow. WTF homeowners moment. So for any for anyone that's you know passionate about buying a buying a, a house, just know that weird shit is going to happen. You're talking you know, about present party included, like uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, weird yeah. shit's gonna happen, and mm -hmm. it's gonna happen before Christmas, and that new thing that you wanted to buy yourself, forget it. Budget yeah. is gonna go right to bullshit. <laughs> I, I, I feel you. Uh, yeah, I'll keep it short so we can bring Jim on in. But yes, I right am. Uh, I am roughly in the market of owner homeownership. Finally, like uh, it's been a long time coming, but. Um, but I've been talking to my kids, uh, mom and and stepdad, um, who want us to live in the same town, and so we're coming to an agreement about a location. Uh, and me being the person that I am, you know, just like, you know, I mean, I've I'm embracing it um, as a change. I'm not excited about it. I like where I live. I love living in Napa, uh, and you know, and I've lived in this house for almost eight years, and I've never lived anywhere any anywhere near that long you know, um, in any sense, right? So right. this is as close to home as anything that I've ever lived in, even though it's not my house, that makes right. sense. So- yeah. But Napa's um, your home. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm also, you know, I'm being open to the change and to 
being able to afford buying a home and the, you know, the changes that come along with that. Um, and I don't know, I've been, I've been talking to, of course, talking to different people, talking to my buddy Joe, but talk to, talk to my dad about it today. Um, you know, he recommends I wait until the other party uh, involved buys their home first and not rush into, into it. Like, kind of like That's I am. Smart. That I'm, yeah. He thinks I'm putting the cart before a, the horse, which I mm-hmm. actually kind of have been. I found a home that I really like and like checks all the boxes just, you know, when I found it and everything. And it's like, ooh, this is nice. And it's a new home is uh, t- built in 2018 and it has nice. solar that's solar that's oh, paid off. Sweet. And, I was going to ask you, I was going to tell you, I forgot to tell you last time we talked about this, is if you can target houses that came with the solar built in. Yeah, I mean, so this is, it's pretty nice and it's on the it's on the higher end of my budget but it's it's doable and so i'm mm-hmm. like oh I, I should you know i'm getting kind of a little bit excited but then i'm i also need to take i need to take his advice and just chill out there will be other homes and mm-hmm. um and i need to just i don't want to be dealing with getting my kids i'm not taking my kids from school in the middle of the year or anything like that mm-hmm. and while yeah. my mom offered to drive them to school you know every day they could for the mm-hmm. rest of the year if needed just to make this change I don't yeah. need to put that on her. I could just be patient and wait and continue to save money. So, right. Um, that's my home ownership story. Huh. Yay. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Is it, uh, was this house in an area with a development that um, also had other houses? That sold they, they all, I mean, not all the houses had solar on it from what I could tell. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of them, I think, look pretty new. So I'd, I'd have to explore the area and everything. It won't be there when I'm <laughs> when I'm ready to right. next next yeah. year to, to buy or what have you. So, but all- that's the thing about you know buying houses in California. The market is so quick. It's like as soon as you see something that oh, you're yeah. interested in, you have got to go all in immediately. It um, won't be there in two weeks. Yeah, to see if you can get yeah because if you think about it overnight, it might not be there next day. Yeah. But yeah, it's I will, totally stressful. <laughs> I will continue private provide updates, but I think this one might be tabled for a little bit, and I'm not going to tempt myself by continuing to overly look at the sites or anything like that, because because yeah. there there yeah. are a lot of other variables that just need to you know need to fall into place right. before I buy a you know I don't need to be the first to buy the home. It wasn't even my idea, right? So right, 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 um, exactly. So, well, good so. for you for 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 looking and you know getting a feel for for what's out there. Well, thank you. Um, well, let's br- go ahead and bring in our guest now. Like I said, this is Jim from the Yardbirds. We had a great chat. I really enjoyed our time together. Uh, and uh, here is our interview. Jim, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to uh, to chat with you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I thought I thought it was going to be. Uh... The other Steve Jones. <laughs> you're, not, you're not the first. You're not the first. Did, did you really though? Did, did you? I'm I'm a little bit younger, you know, but uh, but you're you're, you're but we have similar, you know, uh, hobbies, professions, whatever you call it, you know. So. <laughs> um, well, last time I saw him, he was down in uh, Hollywood. <clears throat> oh yeah, he's he's not in England now, huh? No, no, he had a he had a, a show in. Uh, Jones's jukebox. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't realize he was doing that on out here on the uh, on the west coast here. So okay, that's interesting. Have you have you hung out with him? Have you you know did you cross paths at, at times? I'm sure you know the sex whistles. Really, um, 
No, not at all. No, it was like a different generation, really. You know. Um, but I, I was going to ask him if he knew um, JJ from the Stranglers, because I because I had a I had a play with him the other night. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We had a jam, so that was the two generations playing together. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've never actually met the the other Steve Jones. You know, I've uh, uh, I've tried to get that interview, but then I mean, it's uh, it's a little late now. You know, in terms of the band, I think, and everything. But uh, um, yeah, I ne I've never crossed paths with him directly, other than you know <laughs> the name the namesake. So yeah, you know, yeah. Um, well, 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 let's start. Nice to meet you, anyway. And nice to meet you. I think um, we we chatted and it was on the it was a phone interview, but like three years ago we did a phone interview. I don't expect you to remember or anything, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but I remember enjoying our conversation. Um, yeah. How how are you doing? How are you holding up? I mean, there's a lot for us to get into, but you know, I mean, it's been a crazy time for everybody. But um, but I'm interested to hear how you're you're holding up and how things are in your neck of the woods in France. Uh, well, I'm in a, I'm in a small village, so it, it's quite quiet, and um, uh, there's not really a lot of uh, problems with the virus around here. It's more in the big cities, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I suppose occasionally they get a they get um, someone that's got it, but it's not not doesn't seem to be a big problem. Um, um, and of course, you know, we we haven't played for a long time, so. <clears throat> We, we were going to be coming in October, um, just gone, and that got cancelled. So uh, it'll be in April now. Those dates are uh, uh, put back till April. Yeah. So you haven't played any shows since uh, since COVID hit um, almost two years ago now? Uh, I think the last show was, uh, I think, February last year. Um, uh, we played in Seattle, mm. and I came. I came back from Seattle to Paris. That was, the, that was the last time. Yeah. How was that experience? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. We we did a we we did a, a a cruise, I think, and then we did a few dates. Not many dates. We just played Portland and Seattle, and maybe somewhere else. We didn't do a lot of dates, <clears throat> but. Um, yeah, we've got another cruise coming up in March, the uh, Flower Power Cruise, which is always good fun. We've done that twice before. Tell me about the experience yeah. of playing a cruise like that. What is that? What is that like for you? I mean, it's like I mean, imagine a week full of you know music and debauchery and everything. I've never been on a music cruise yet. Well, um, it's it, it's really good fun because the people all dress up. You know, they they go into the Flower Power thing. Um, uh, and we're only usually on for half a week, so we're on, you know, three or four days, and it, so it's we don't we don't really get bored. And I I think we only play usually we only play once, and then do a Q and A uh, another day, and uh, and that's it. So it's it's quite nice, it's quite relaxing, and um, they pay as well. You know, they just like. <laughs> They're getting it's very popular and they, they they've got very high prices so yeah, it's, yeah. it's good a good uh, good show yeah um well so let's let's start with um she walks in beauty um i had a chance to read that and um and i want to know kind of where it started for you where you know I, I, 
in, in within the uh, the book, you kind of break down a little bit about um, you know your um, your wife speaking to you, you know, about write, writing and that sort of thing. But where where did that kind of outlet come from to uh, to put all that together? Well, I think yeah, we, we were in the, we were in the lockdown, and and um, she was looked after in the house. You know, she had cancer and and she died. <clears throat> she died in the house, and it was a pretty you know, a pretty traumatic thing for me. You know, it's probably one of the worst days ever. Um, and then I just wanted to establish, try and establish what had happened to her because we were so close. And I thought, well, she can't just disappear. She, <laughs> she, she must be somewhere or other. And um, a couple of people I knew had said they dreamt about her and they saw her in dreams. And then someone near here, I think I, I. I told it in the book, um, someone that worked in a cafe quite close to uh, where we live. She saw her walking after she had died um, with me and I was in tears and she was quite happy. So I thought, oh, well, she must be around. So um, I was very determined <laughs> and uh, I, I studied, uh, you know, near-death near experiences and um, on, on the YouTube and people like um, Evan Alexander, who had a big near-death experience, who was a brain surgeon. So, you know, he, he was a good person <laughs> to speak about it because he was basically brain dead when he had it. Um, <clears throat> and then um, got in touch with various mediums, um, one of whom was Suzanne Giesman, who um, was an officer in the US Navy uh, and then she lost her daughter in um, in Iraq. She was struck by lightning. Yeah. So decided to be a medium then, and she studied in uh, in England, and then she you know became quite a famous medium now. And uh, I I did one of her courses, so I learned all the ways of uh, connecting, what to do, you know the procedure, and uh, it seemed to work. So I seemed to get some good evidence because Suzanne always said oh, well you need evidence um, you know that you're actually communicating you need to know things that that you wouldn't normally know from from the person so um, so the little facts come in and she tells you things I, I mean she told me um, quite, quite a long time ago uh, probably at the beginning of you know quite near the beginning of the year um, she just came up, I heard her, heard her say, Charlie Watts. And uh, <clears throat> so I thought, Charlie Watts, uh, you know, what about, what about him sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I thought, well, what, what, what's, what's going to happen to him? Because he seems fine. And then and a few months later, he, he died. So I thought, well, that was a, that was a good sign, you know. Um, and and a lot of, a lot of the other things in the book, if you yeah. read it. You, yeah, yeah. Uh, did did you know Charlie? Uh, I mean, you um, I mean, you have some stories, you know, about uh, the stones and everything. Like, did you know uh, Charlie Watts? Well, I, yes, not very well, but we did used to play with the stones, and we we went to see them as well. Um, and we did we did a tour once with the stones uh, in England. Um, but I didn't know him well, but he was always very 
very nice, very nice guy to talk to, very, very modest, you know, uh, a, a real gentleman. Yeah. And I was quite surprised when he died because I didn't know there was anything wrong with him. Yeah, you know? you've had to they, they live on forever, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, just, I thought, oh, yeah, he, he's going to keep on like, like the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and so and so, kind of back back to the book, right? You've been able to kind of feel your wife's presence through um, through different outlets. You know, I mean, one you know being birds, and you know, and I know that I saw the picture of um, you know with the burst in it, where she was like standing. You know, I mean, it, like it felt you felt that presence um, there as well, and you know, and a number of other connections. And so, it's kind of I think helped you work through you know through some of this, right? Yeah, yes, and it helped me a lot with the grief um, because it was a, it was a quite a light experience to connect with her. She always seemed quite happy. Oh, she always seems quite happy, um, uh, and some quite funny things happen. Um, I, I was boiling an egg one day for, for breakfast, and it was it was coming up to nine o'clock, and I was timing it on the cooker, and it was um, you know it said two minutes to nine and then it came up to nine o'clock and the the, the cooker went to, the, the clock went to 2100 yeah yeah <laughs> and I thought, yeah. wow that's really weird you know because they they can they can um you know they can tamper with electrics and lights flicker quite quite a bit you know i'm surprised this light behind me is not flickering right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um one thing that I was interested to learn, you know, in the book also was that you lost your dad at um, an age, like he, he died at, you were 16 years old, right? When, um, yeah. when you, lo you lost him. And I'm curious, like what effect that had on your starting making music and, uh, and what have you, like, I mean, did that have any impact at all there? Yeah, well, I, my, my mother and father weren't very, weren't very happy together. You know, it was a, it was a difficult, um, quite a difficult childhood for me and my dad used to drink quite a bit um, he was in the in the pub quite a lot uh, and um, you know that's obviously the reason why he died he probably drunk and smoked too much you know and yeah. he had a heart attack um, uh, and actually you know oh hang on where are you going <laughs> I'm, I'm here did you get a call or something <laughs> Now I'm just going to decline that. Are you there? Yeah. yeah. The call, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I actually, I was quite relieved because there was always a, uh, there was always a terrible atmosphere in my house, you know, <laughs> between yeah. them. So I was quite relieved in a way. I know it's a horrible thing to say, but um, uh, he, he, was, he was always quite uh, keen on me playing, you know, he, he quite liked... Uh, quite like me playing the drums and I, I bought a very cheap drum kit and I think he lent me the money which was like nothing you know 10 pounds or yeah. 10, 10 bucks or something <laughs> just to get a little drum kit to get started uh, and that uh, and that's how I got going but uh, yeah it, it, yeah and I, I started around that time around when I was 16 17 yeah, and uh, and the Strollers were your first band, right? Like, tell uh, you formed them with with Paul. Like, tell me a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, Paul Samuel Smith and I were at the same school. We were at a school called Hampton, Hampton Grammar. And uh, what would be like Hampton High School or whatever. Uh, and um, we always loved, loved sort of uh, early American rock music, you know, the Buddy Holly and the Crickets and the Elvis and Gene Vincent and Johnny Cash. Uh, and we, we formed a band and we used to play in the school dances in the interval uh, when, you know, we play all the rock and roll and everyone would go mad and jump around <laughs> as a break from the waltzes and the foxtrots. And so, uh, and then we play in local pubs around, around uh, where we lived. Uh, and, uh, and Paul at that time played a, a Fender, I think he had a Fender Stratocaster. Uh, he played guitar before he played, he went on bass. And a few years later, when he started playing with Keith Ralph, that he, he started on the bass. Yeah. And did you know then that, that music was what you wanted to do with your life? Is that, I mean, was it pretty clear for you? Oh, not really, not at all, because, um, you know, we were just messing around. To us, it was just something to have a laugh, you know, something to have fun with. And we didn't know it was going to be a money-making thing at all. Um, uh, when we finally got going with the R-Birds, uh, <clears throat> I, I had to um, I had to give up my job because it was too it was so busy. I, I couldn't manage, and I worked in the stock exchange for stockbrokers in London. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I remember going to my boss, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm in this band at the moment, and I can't quite cope with this." lifestyle I said um, you know when the band breaks up in a couple of years can I have my job back <laughs> and he said yes of course yes of course come back you know he, he was very understanding but I, I never did go back of course no you committed it went, <laughs> but it went onwards and upwards yeah yeah uh, for sure and so um so tell me, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the Rolling Stones as well. Um, you saw like some of their early shows, you know, before they were even, you know, the Rolling Stones as they are now, right? Like, what was what was that influence like? Did you have any, I mean, I, I don't expect you to have had a vision that they were going to last indefinitely, you know, uh, you know, but, but did they, did you feel that presence? Um, well, it, you know, with yeah, them? before Samuel Smith again, that, um, Said, oh, you, you want to come up, you come out and see this band, the Rolling Stones. They're, they're playing near us, and they were playing in a place called Richmond, that was a, just a few miles from where we lived. <clears throat> and they were playing in like a funny church hall, and uh, they had a different drummer. It wasn't it wasn't Charlie at that time? Uh, <clears throat> and um, I, I just thought, oh, well, that, this band are very strange. It, it's all very strange. I mean, I've never heard this sort of music. It was like a sort of rock, it was like rock music, but it was a bit different. I thought, where does this music come from? It's very, it's very interesting. I'd, I'd never heard blues music like that before. And they had a, you know, they had something about them that was very odd and very, uh, you know, very strange, but, but, but very good as well. And then the, the next thing we knew, they were playing at this uh, club called the Crawdaddy in, uh, in Richmond every week. And we used to go uh -huh. and see them there. Yeah, and you toured with them and Tina Turner, right? 
Yes, that's right. Yeah. But we did we did get their gig, uh, the, the, the Crawdaddy uh, Club. Um, they, they, in the end, they, they moved away from the club. They started getting too big for it. And uh, um, so we put in for, we replaced them and we managed to get the, get the gig at the Crawdaddy. So that, that was something that helped us a lot. Yeah, and that same year, 1966, um, uh, you Jimmy Page had played his first show with you, uh, you guys, right? Um, like it was, um, it was London, the London's Marquee Club, right? Can you tell me about that experience? Did it, uh, and him joining the band? Yeah. Well, what happened was we we'd already asked him uh, <clears throat> to join when Eric Clapton left. Um, uh, because we he he'd come to see us and we knew we knew he was a great player, um, and he was very friendly, very you know very open to us, and he turned it down because um, he was very busy doing sessions, playing in, uh, in on on records you know recorded in London uh, studios, um, and so he recommended uh, Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck was his friend and. A sort of understudy that played sessions when he couldn't do them. So we uh, we got Jeff Beck in, and of course Jeff was great. And yeah. uh, Jeff had a, a, a great variety of styles. He could play all sorts of uh, crazy, you know, <laughs> and we, we liked it a lot. And we broadened our sound from just playing blues to to, to playing all all sorts of weird and wonderful things and uh, that was a lot to do with him and it, it wasn't until Paul Samuel Smith decided to leave that um, Jimmy was asked to, to join again and he actually joined as bass player first of all so he, 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 by then he wanted to join the band he wanted to go out on the road so uh, he joined on bass, and then um, the, uh, Chris Dreyer and him swapped. So that uh, Chris played bass, which was very brave, and uh, Jeff and Jimmy played lead guitars. Yeah, and uh, and I read that you said that uh, the time with Jeff was uh, like we were the band had the best chemistry, the best dynamic, right? Like, well, yeah, um, yeah, Paul Thomas Smith and. Chris and Jeff, Keith and me. No, it was a, it was a great chemistry and a good, a, a good team, and um, we worked, we worked well. We worked, we worked well in the studio. You know, we wrote, we wrote good stuff together and had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah, um, I want to ask about something that you wrote about in your book and. Uh, uh, it's it's something that's always interesting to me. I, it comes up a lot in my, my interviews, but just because I'm such a fan of the Fillmore here in San Francisco, Fillmore West, right? Um, and an experience that you had uh, at the Fillmore. Um, uh, uh, I was Lee Stanley III gave you ca uh, some capsules there. And it, I mean, tell me about the experience, what happened that, uh, that night at the Fillmore? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it... Yes, he, he turned up and he, he looked like a sort of a biker, you know, he had long greasy hair and he had a leather jacket on and uh, we thought oh, there's a biker coming in and they said, oh, this is Owsley or Owsley Stanley as, as his real name was. 
and who made all the LSD on the West Coast. <laughs> he was a professor and he obviously went to, the, to all the gigs, you know, and gave the bands handfuls of, uh, of drugs, uh, whatever they were you know lsd and there were other things you know and, uh, yeah. and you, he, you didn't know <laughs> <laughs> no so he, he he gave us some and uh i, I took one and of course it was a, it was a pretty bad experience and then uh, i got i got actually quite ill you know i went back to to england and uh, became quite depressed for a while and uh couldn't even couldn't even play at one time uh, and then it gradually wore off over a period of time and, and took sort of quite a few months. And, and then, uh, you know, I, ca I came back. Yeah, you had to miss part of the tour and everything for, for that. Did you did you think you would be back to the, the band? Did, was your, did, when you at that point in your life, like you were like, okay, I just need a break? Or did you see you needed to take care of yourself? Where were you out there? needed to get up, get over it. I, I, I knew I was going to get better because, uh, you know, I had a pretty good doctor and he, he knew what happened in these sort of cases. Uh, the worst thing is when you don't know what's going on, you feel so awful, you, know, you don't understand it. But, but the doctor said, oh, you'll, uh, you know, you, you will get better. And funny, he said to me, uh, actually, uh, in, the, in the long term, it will be an advantage to you. So uh, I don't quite know what he meant, but maybe um, maybe he meant it would be a, like a, give me a creative insight you know, after going through it. You know. Yeah, but you you did you got better and you're able to get back out there and you know and uh, and do what you love, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I went to this. Uh, I got into involved in various healing groups. At, I was looking for healing and I, and I got more and more healing and then that's how I got into all that healing and spiritual stuff. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about uh, breaking Ringo's, uh, uh, breaking his snare drum? Uh, what happened? Like, do we, you're just banging so hard, you got to, <laughs> and how did that, how did that conversation go with Ringo? Uh, hey, by the way. Uh... Well, we, we were sharing the back line. Uh, um, you know, the guitar players were using there, but I, I reckon, you know, they must have had box amps. Ringo had that lovely Ludwig kit and uh, <laughs> playing away. And of course, they never biked up the drums in those days. They were just totally as they were. They might have had some mic up uh, somewhere up high, but um, I had to play very loud because the, you know, the band were pretty loud and I was bashing away. And all of a sudden, I looked down and I, gone right through his snare drum. I, I was really embarrassed. I thought, oh God, what am I going to do? You know, breaking Ringo's. <laughs> uh, but I was okay. I mean, it was uh, it was quite a, a laugh afterwards. I mean, Ringo shook his fist at me as a joke and <laughs> the, the roadie just changed his skin and that was it. There was no problem. Yeah. He was, he was able to still play or he had to, you know, kind of tune his approach a little bit. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. They were all, they were all real pros, you know. They just, yeah. That stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was big. Yeah. I, th I think you mentioned this in your book, and this is a story that, you know, I, I feel like I, I would, I'm surprised you didn't go into more detail in the book about, but, um, but you were on a plane, uh, a Boeing 707, and, uh, and you were throwing paper airplanes and, you know, and messing around and everything. And then, like, 
yeah, the the plane starting to take off and it and the tire blew. Like, I mean, that seemed like a. I mean, they're going hundred, couple hundred miles an hour, probably that by that point. Like, right? Was that pretty traumatic? Yeah, it was very, it was very odd. Um, I, I know some something happened when we took off, but we we didn't quite know because we were flying all the time and we were just messing around with these little model paper planes, pretending to crash them and everything, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, and then when they came in, they said, "Well, we've got a blown tire," and we thought, "Oh no, we we must have maybe created that by some sort of weird the energy from the paper planes, right? Yeah, magic." So we thought, "Oh, we're never going to do that again." <laughs> we learned our lesson. Yeah. Did Did you switch over to a different plane? Like, was there a pause? For, like, I mean, did everything work, work? Everything worked out okay, obviously, right? So, yeah, they 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 landed. They managed to land in the end. Um, yeah, we landed, but I think that was our we we got to our destination. We weren't we weren't traveling any further. Wherever it was, I don't remember. Somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Uh, um. David Bowie uh, did kind of covered. Uh, I wish you would, and uh, and tell me, tell me, did you know Bowie? Did you had you ever met him? What and what did that mean for uh, for him when he when he covered that song? Uh, no, we we didn't know him, but I gathered he used to come to our gigs when we played at the Marquee. It was quite a uh, quite a packed sort of crowd, and uh, I guess he, he used to come and watch us. Uh, same as Phil Collins, I think. Uh, Phil, Phil told me, I know you came to watch you. I, I, I never met David, so I don't know. Um, but he did wish you would, and um, it was fun, quite funny his version of Gene Genie because it sounds so much like Keith, you know. <laughs> he's really, yeah. he's really got Keith's voice and the, harm, the harmonica style, the way he played it. Uh, it's good, but it was nice that he did those songs. I mean, it's very, uh, very gratifying for us. Oh, totally. Um, I never got to see him perform live, but uh, the, my favorite concert of all time was a celebration of his life, like a couple months after he died. Um, it was led by Gary Oldman, uh, the act the actor, and a bunch and a bunch of musicians. I mean, there were like seventy musicians, like, and it was three and a half hours of Bowie music. You know, I mean, it was, it was just incredible. You know. Was that in New York? Uh, it was in San Francisco, actually, and they they built a tour off of it afterwards. But this is one of the the first two shows they did one in L.A. and then one in San Francisco, um, right after that. Yes, he did. He did some great songs. I mean, he really did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, genius and and Dark Star. Like when that came out, like right in line with when he died. I mean, I listened to that so many times. It was just, you know, it was incredible. And he sort of planned his his death, didn't he? he sort of, he, 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 he had it all worked yeah. out. It's a way of saying, you know, I, look, I'm in control of this till the end, you know. And cancer, it's in, you know, it may take me, but it didn't win. Right? It kind of felt like, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're in control. It's great. It's a good good attitude. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think with my wife, we always thought there was going to be a miracle. You know, we never gave up. We always thought, oh, that you might have a spontaneous uh, healing. You know, <laughs> you never know, right? But just the timing just worked out perfectly for him. So. <laughs>
it's a horrible, a horrible thing. It's an awful thing. Terrible. Oh, for yeah. sure, for sure. Um, so, um, in nineteen uh, in the in nineteen eighties, you got to you uh, you built Box of Frogs, and that was kind of a partial yardboarders reunion. Tell me about the dynamic of uh, Box of Frogs and how that came about. Yeah, that that was the thing that came together very slowly. Um, it was start. It sort of came around when we um, Paul Paul Chris. Paul Samuel Smith, Chris Dreyer and myself, um, we got together and we did a, a, a yardbird show at the Marquee Club. It was their 20th anniversary and we did a couple of nights and uh, we got a couple of other people in to play with us. Um, and then we, we gradually started to write songs and then we thought, oh, let, let's go in the studio. And I think it started off uh, the idea was to do an EP, you know, just four tracks or something, and then we started doing more and more, and then it, it, it just, you know, gathered moss. Yeah, it got bigger and bigger, and then we did the whole album. Jeff Beck came in and, and did a couple of tracks, and it, it was great fun. It was like a big party. <laughs> we yeah, had a, we had a big party for every track. It was good. Yeah. And would you say that kind of paved the way for you know uh, for bringing the Yardbirds back as you know as you know as the Yardbirds like bringing that back in the nineties? I think so. I think it reminded people, and it was a shame in a way that we never went on tour. Um, it was just a studio uh, project. Some of the guys didn't really want to tour. They didn't want to play live. Uh, they were doing other other things. Um, but it did, yeah, it did pave the way gradually to, um, I guess, the Hall of Fame, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 92 was the was Yeah, the what was that, what was the Hall of Fame experience like for you? I mean, was it surreal a bit? Uh, a little bit, because we've been, you know, you know, we hadn't been together and we'd, We've been sort of almost out, out of the business for a while. Um, and then all of a sudden seeing all these great people, you know, Carlos Santana and B.B. King and uh, people, you know, Keith Richard, all these people, they were all at, at the, the evening and then get inducted with Johnny Cash and we used to play his songs at school. <laughs> yeah. Jimi Hendrix, I mean, it's... Uh, like a dream, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you talked to Johnny Cash, right? Like, was that was that an yeah. amazing experience? That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and uh, I, I think I was part of the jam. They did it. They, they didn't organize them very well. You know, they just had a sort of a jam. Whoever wanted to play, and Johnny Cash was there playing, and uh, I think he did all along the Watchtower or something like that. Oh. <laughs> It's awesome. Oh yeah. my gosh. Good. Yeah. Do you remember the first time, would you remember where you were the first time you heard For Your Love on the radio? Oh, probably. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't actually. We, we were, might have been traveling to a show, you know, I heard it on the car radio. Uh, we used to listen to stuff on the car, you know, in the car going up to a show. So probably that's where it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, must have been amazing, right? Like, yeah, like, this is it, you know? 
<laughs> I know, I know. Suddenly you hear yourself on the radio, and uh, you know, or you watch yourself on TV. It's quite quite amazing. You know, or, or, or nowhere, all of a sudden, you're on the television or the radio. Yeah, that, yeah. that's special. And that and that first U.S. tour that you had, I mean, was that was that a big jump for you uh, for you guys? I mean, was that was that the big like breaking point for you? Well, in a, in a way, yeah, going to the U.S. was always a dream for us because uh, the U.S. was always special. You know, we'd seen all the movies and all the blues music and all the jazz and everything else, uh, and going to the U.S. was was fantastic but the, I think the first tour yeah we had a few visa problems and uh, in the end we didn't play very much we only did a couple of gigs um, but we followed up you know the next tour started to started to do well and, and then we did we did a lot of lot of tours yeah and that was always great fun and we did we, we did uh, shapes of things actually on a US tour we did that in Cheshire Chess Records, Chess Studios in uh, Chicago, yeah. which was great, yeah. you know, yeah. great to be, uh, you know, where they did all the blues, uh, blues songs. Sure. Um, tell me a little bit about the differences in your approach between your solo music and uh, and writing for Yardbirds. Um, I mean, you put out a, a handful of solo albums now. What is, how do you approach that? How do you go into those uh, solo albums? Uh, Solo is different because uh, um, you know I'm I'm not a, a, a real rock blues singer. I'm more of a folk singer, so I have to write the songs for myself, you know. And they're not so, they're not really other. There's a couple of songs uh, that I've done solo versions that Yarbers have done as well. There's one called Dream Within a Dream, um, but usually they're quite quite soft and more folky um, and I, I have to get the right musicians as well but I I, uh, I, I was pleased with the last record because I had um, Terry Brown involved uh, as producer and he you know he did a lot of Rush, Rush albums in Toronto and he's an English guy and he's, he's great to work with and he got a really good sound on the voice and we had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, yeah. I know you have some Rush connections. Did you ever get? Did you ever play with them? Ever tour with Rush? Uh, no, never. No, I, I, I went to see them once in Toronto. I went to see them play, uh, and Alex actually played played on um, one of the tracks on my album. And uh, he, he's a great guy. He's a big big Yardbirds fan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's very cool. And um, and last year you you put out a, a live album, um, you know, for uh, for the Yardbirds, and it's kind of a culmination of a couple of different shows from the uh, from the sixties. Um, how do you choose so uh, those songs? And and were those uh, tapes that you just hold, held on to for that long and remastered? Yeah, I, I don't know where they came from. Those tapes. They were. Are you talking about the repertoire stuff? Um, live in France. Yeah, so yeah, the repertoire um, record label—they're in Germany and they're very, very—they're um, very keen. They're very keen on the Yardbirds, and they're very—they're very good. They do really good packages, and they—they um, they run all the stuff. They—they they find the stuff. I don't know through fans and stuff. You know, they find it all over the place. 
um, and then they run it by us and say, oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And we say yes or no, and um, you know, we have a good relationship with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jim, what would you say is some of the biggest things you've taken away? What's some of the biggest lessons you've learned or, you know, your most memorable experiences, um, you know, from all these years of making music and in, in a lifetime of, uh, of doing that, right? Well, of course, I guess the Hall of Fame was a great, was a great night suddenly to be recognized for, uh, uh, for what we did, you know, recognizing it in quite a big way. Uh, that was great, and we've had some great times along the way. You know, some great gigs. <clears throat> I, I, I think probably with Jeff Beck were were, were the great ones. You know, um, probably lots of awful ones as well with him. But but we had some great ones with him when everyone clicked and everyone played together well, and maybe in a little club. You know, and there was a nice atmosphere. And uh, well, yeah, there's been some great memories. And I always feel very lucky that I've managed to keep going, you know, keep playing. And um, I had such, such, a, such a good time, so many good memories. Yeah, I know you have a couple of dates, tour dates planned uh, for uh, next year. Um, do you plan on expanding that? Do you plan on getting out and uh, doing a bunch more shows? What does that look like now for you? I know there's a lot that's unpredictable. Well, uh, yes, it is unpredictable. Um, Doing the October dates, which were <clears throat> basically up 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 the east coast, you know, uh, they were on the east side. So we might we might add to them, and you never know. It might be another tour next year. We'll see. We're looking into that sort of thing all the time, you know. See how how things open up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Jim, I want to thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, uh, not Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, but uh, <laughs> but hopefully you enjoyed our chat. So, <laughs> no, no problem at all. Very good, Steve. Very yeah. cool. Well, take take care and be safe, and uh, and hopefully see you out here on the uh, you know in the Bay Area in the not too distant future. Okay. okay. Where where are you? You're in Napa uh, Valley, I. I am. Yeah. Here, I'll sh I'll show you. I'm uh, I'm on a vineyard uh, myself. So. <laughs> Look at that, that's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, I got the camera. <laughs> the sun is out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a nice day. There's nothing to complain about out here, I'll tell you, you know, and things are pretty pretty safe out here, so we're good here too. So. All right, Steve. <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, nice to again, Jim. You have a great day, okay? Okay. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Bye. That was the interview with Jim from the Yardbirds. And Jens, that takes us to the final segment on the program. What is it? Well, Steve, it's time to talk about some music news, our little segment where we discuss what's going on in the world of music. That is right. We each have a couple of stories to share. Uh, and uh, Jens, I think it's important that we start with the, the most important story. I mean, this is one that's, you know, I wouldn't say it's surprising, but uh, but it's one that you'll really appreciate. And it's about Marilyn Manson. Oh, it is. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the one that you uh, wanted me to share? No, that's, that's gonna be valuable. That's gonna be a valuable 
you know, conversation. But maybe that'll be the second most important. <laughs> That's why it'll be second. Is uh, these stories are in order of importance, apparently, right? Uh, well, Jens, I I need you to know that Marilyn Manson reportedly had a bad girls room in his West Hollywood apartment. I don't know what that means. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, it's been reported that Marilyn Manson had a soundproof room in his West Hollywood apartment that he referred to as the bad girls room. Uh, in an in-depth report by Rolling Stone based on court documents and new interviews, it's detailed that M Marilyn uh, would banish his various girlfriends to this solitary confinement cell used to psychologically torture women. Uh, according to Ashley Walters, a former assistant suing Warner for sexual assault and other charges, or Warner that's uh, Marilyn Manson's runner, uh, Brian Warner, um, always had uh, a joking bragging tone when he told people about the room. Um, Ryan Brown, another former uh, assistant, had denied ever seeing any woman confined in the so-called bad girl's room in the eight years he worked for Warner, but said it was common knowledge, that's what everybody called it. Ashley Morgan Smithline, who is suing him for sexual assault and unlawful imprisonment, among other charges, told Rolling Stone that uh, that Marilyn Manson repeatedly forced her to stay in the space for hours at a time when they were dating. At first, he made it sound cool, she said. Then he made it sound very punitive. Even if I was screaming, no one would hear me. First, you fight, and he enjoys the struggle. I learned to not fight it because that uh, was giving him what he wanted. I just went somewhere else in my head. Um, yeah uh yeah you know i uh i don't even know what to say i mean before we even get into this crazy room you know one question is why would you date marilyn manson like how do you even get the motivation to do that more or less so step inside his house so this is and you know and this is the you know, another question that I would ask, you know, kind of on the heels of that, that what I'm thinking about as I'm reading it, right? And I don't want to victim blame or anything along those lines. But do you go back after one incident of this? Right. You would think, you, no, never again. But, yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if people have. He's, uh, yeah, he's, so he's facing four sexual assault lawsuits uh, after his former partner, Evan Rachel Wood, among other women, publicly made allegations against him in February. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of people on board with this, these allegations. Um, Holy shit. Are any of them, do any of them admit to going back? I mean, if, if she's labeled as his girlfriend and she was put in this and multiple times, like, I mean, it sounds like, right? Like Manson's denied all Rachel allegations. Rachel Wood. She's yeah. an actress. She's the From one on, uh, Game of Thrones. No, uh, no. Um, there's a Game of Thrones actor, uh, Esme oh, Bianco, who, who sued M Manson also mm -hmm. for sexual assault, uh, physical abuse, and human trafficking. Wow. Uh, and he's denied all the allegations, claiming that his accusers were cynically and dishonestly seeking to monetize and exploit the hashtag MeToo movement by launching a co uh, coordinated attack against him. So, um, I guess it's still in the courts. I'm speechless. Yeah. Westworld is what I was thinking of. HBO. Oh Westworld. yeah, she was yeah, the main yeah. character. Jesus yeah. Christ, man! Crazy oh, shit, huh? you know that is just one mentality I cannot understand. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, again. I started with it not being a surprise. This is a guy who you know 
20 years ago who he claimed who from my understanding had ribs removed so he could perform fellatio on himself right like this is a guy who's not well right so i'm i'm thinking about you know potential girlfriends you know and and kind of what they have on their list of people that they want to date you know so they have like a you know, I like this, I, I don't like that list, right? So when they're out looking for, you know, somebody to go out with, you know, they've, they can they can check off their little list, you know? I mean, what the hell? So, you know, on the list is, had surgery done to himself so he could perform fellatio on himself. Like, I'm really into that. I need a guy who did that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather him do it than me do it. So, you know, right? Like, that's the mentality or what? Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Can't explain. Anyway, it. I got something Get, for you. Take take us to a, uh, you know, a, a lighter story, would you? A lighter one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Steve, you know bands like Rage Against the Machine, right? And Tool. Yes. Well, there's a New York collective group called Brass Against. Okay. And they've made quite a name for themselves by, you know, uh, doing covers of, um, of songs, you know, from Rage and Tool and, and, and others as well. Um, and I mean, it, it's not, you know, if you can get out there and if you can find a, you know, a band that's really, really, really good at, 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 you know, doing covers and they make a name for themselves, why not? You know, why not go and be like, yeah, freaking awesome, you know, just have an absolutely killer time, right? Especially yeah. if you're really up close to the stage and um you know you're you're there at this stage you're looking at the you know you're, you're you're looking at the vocalist her name is uh sophia and um before you know it you know sophia is like pissing on your face oh okay you know yeah not, not something that i've ever had happen to me at a concert i'll say but uh. no no i think the worst thing that ever happened to me um i don't know this might not be a bad thing depending on what you're into but I'm just gonna say, I think the, the worst thing that ever happened to me, you know, close to the stage was just losing my sandals and, you know, trying to figure out where the hell they were <laughs> hours later. You've lost but, oh my God, clothing, yeah. to get pissed on in the face. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's so even what... video footage for those of you that want to check this out. Um, so the vocalist, you know, complained several times about having to pee um, and then she secured a volunteer from the crowd to service her toilet. And I think to really understand it, you have to watch the video. I mean, so this, uh, this volunteer knew it was coming. It wasn't just yeah. a surprise. Oh no, this is not a surprise. This is a willing participant. Um, there. There is a police report uh, as more details emerge, but this gentleman uh, laid down on the stage. She squatted over him, pulled down her pants, and let it flow. Um, let it flow. Yeah. Yeah. Say Sophia got carried away. Is that what that is? Yeah, I uh, guess that was. Yeah. So anytime you know somebody says to you, "Hey, Steve, have a good time. Make sure you don't get carried away." They're specifically talking about make sure you don't, you know, piss on someone. 
so I have no knowledge of this band, but I do have knowledge of Sophia's girlfriend, who is Jess King, the uh, Peloton instructor. Um, oh, no shit. Yeah. Do they piss on each other? I don't know. I mean, I think I would imagine this is probably not the first person she's pissed on. I mean, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it. So. I've got questions, but you know what? I don't think I'm sure enough to ask them. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is a thing that people do. I don't know. I don't want to know about it. It's, Ignorance uh, is bliss, man. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know many people that would go to a concert and uh, be, and be prepared to be peed on, but, you know, it uh, it happens, so. I, yeah. Oh, my is. God. All right. More, po- for us? more positive story here, Jens. This is one that I saw the other day and uh, was really interesting. I was really proud. We've talked time to time about Nandy Bushel. Do you remember Nandy Bushel? Vaguely. You don't remember Nandy Bushel? <laughs> Nandy Bushel, the 11-year-old uh, English girl who challenged Dave Grohl to a draw. Right. And, of course. Yes. And... Uh, and badass as she is uh, and Absolutely. her brother also really really great uh, guitarist but uh-huh. uh, but so she put out a video uh, music video where she's two she's on two instruments in it uh, well she's a singer but she also drums in it but she uh, made the video with uh, Tom Morello's uh, son I believe um, who is also um, uh, around her age so uh they put out a, a video uh, let me uh, uh, kind of discussing you know kind of tackling climate change so to speak right oh, um, all right and and the video has been viewed about a million times on social media um but also what was really interesting recently is the um, some of the recognition um the, from the video nandy said after learning about climate change at school i wanted to help make a difference um, and uh, the video was praised by Simon Pegg uh, and Lenny Kravitz, but more interests, interestingly, Barack Obama posted about oh. the, the video. Um, uh, he'd been in Glasgow, Glasgow for the COP26 Climate Change Summit. He said in the speech at the conference, to all the young people out there, I want you to stay angry. I want you to stay frustrated. And on his Facebook page, he posted a picture of the Rise Up music video and wrote to his 55 million followers. Many social movements have been started and sustained by young people. Nandy and Roman used music as a way to share their compelling message about why we need to take action on climate change. And Nandy, of course, was beside herself, freaking excited, um, even though she's not an American. Uh, I mean, quite a quite a big recognition, right? <laughs> uh, right? She said, this is incredible. She's, she, I, I just always think of everything she says is so loud and excited. She's, I am so proud you shared the song Roman and I wrote to help raise awareness of climate change on Facebook. Amazing. <laughs> nice accent. Yeah, I, at okay. first I thought you were gonna say she hooked up with Greta uh, and taught her how to play the drums. No, no, that didn't. That didn't really happen. I'm sorry. I don't have that. All right. I don't have that story to share. So maybe, um, maybe, maybe it'll happen someday. You know, if she gets, if she gets that into climate change and activism, they they've got they're bound to team up. It could happen. It could happen. You have one more story for us, Jens. I do. Now, I'll preface this by uh, saying this is uh, there's an album that you 
as a fan of an artist didn't realize was released do tell yeah the, you know that's 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 speaks to my true you know fan nature of the band abba who is a fantastic band that is a fantastic band and i guess um this is 40 years right 40 years have gone by since they uh released their last album and uh this, so would you released... say this one is long awaited <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't ever awaiting another album from them and uh you know <laughs> If they want to release another album, well, whatever they can. But you know, the nostalgia is about their original music and that and the time you know that we were living in back then. I mean, disco was fucking awesome. You know, they had incredible hits one after the next. So when you told me about this the other day, you know, I told uh, my phone to go ahead and start playing this album. I listened to it twice. And the whole time, I'm like, what am I listening to? I feel like this is a soundtrack to some Disney movie. And I'm like imagining elves and fairies like running around. And uh, this sounds like Ava, but I don't know. It's, why, right? Why? <laughs> <laughs> but I was really surprised, I've got to say, at how good their voices were. Okay. You know? They, they, they still performed really well. It's just the music didn't really speak to me. Um, so, you know, here the article says about the album Voyage. No thank you for the music. <laughs> which, which speaks to their, you know, one of their songs that goes, thank you for the music. Oh, really? I did song that. Oh, that I'm singing. Yeah, it. yeah, it was one of their big hits um so all right so after 40 years uh the makers of the once sparkling pop are back but the glamour promised by this album's two terrific singles goes horribly unfulfilled mm. I, I i agree with that i i wouldn't i'm not saying it's bad or anything it's just you're like okay it's just not good. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Like next. Uh, so let's see. What else can we uh, say about this? Uh, maybe we've said enough. I mean, it sounds um, pretty cut and dry. Is it? I mean, your your thoughts on are not too excited. Would you fly to Germany or Sweden to to go see Abba play this album? Only if it was an absolute certainty that they were going to play their you know a lot of their hits too uh -huh. yeah you know i mean if they're if they're kind of using this album as maybe you know to go touring or something you know maybe they're just so sick of their own shit they wanted to play some new stuff but then you know throw in some throw in some of the you know classics as well um yeah but i'm sure tickets would be impossible to get and outrageously expensive right. so um well. Yeah, I think that's all we have to say about that. Based on your ravering review, I'm not running out to see them or to listen to this at all in any capacity. So I will go ahead and move on. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, no. it's definitely worth a listen if you were an Alba fan back in the day, but otherwise, forget it. Oh, forget it. It's forgotten. Um, it's forgotten. What is not forgotten, Jens, is the, uh, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters and, uh, and the, how he continues to do amazing things right um and 
so the story I have for you today, Jens, uh, is um, is that he has unveiled a horror comedy movie uh, called Studio Six Sixty Six, and um, so I think a hard day's night um, uh, of the living dead with laughs uh, among the scares and splatter, and you've got a, a handle on Studio 666, Dave Grohl and his Foo Fighters bandmates. Uh, uh, they star in a film shot in secret uh, about what happens when the legendary rock band rents an Encino mansion steeped in grisly rock and roll history to record their 10th album. Um, uh, trouble is, Dave Grohl is creatively blocked. And when evil forces in the house sink into his consciousness, the creative juices begin flowing, but so does the blood. Oh uh, my God, <laughs> this is terrifying. This is freaking Can, me out. I actually need to go find my wife and urinate on her. Um, uh -huh. I will be right back, but you keep on talking uh, about the Dave Grohl story. I'll be listening. Okay, okay. So we got to know, can the Foo Fighters uh, uh, complete the album with the band still alive to tour? Um, so Open Roads has acquired the rights to uh, the movie worldwide and the distributors set a, a wide theatrical release in 2000 plus theaters on February 25th. So um, along with Dave Grohl and bandmates, uh, Taylor Hawkins, Nate Mandel, Pat Smear, Chris uh, Chifflet, um, Chifflet, excuse me, and Narami Jeffy, uh, who play themselves. The cast includes Whitney Cummings, comedian. Um, uh, so that should be interesting. Um, uh, Leslie Grossman, Will Forte, oh, that's awesome, uh, Jenna Ortega, and Jeff Garland. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of great comedy in, uh, uh, in this. So I'm in, really interested to see it. The pick is directed by BJ McDonald, and the international release date will be set soon by Open Road CEO Tom Otenberg and the Foo Fighters. So um, it sounds like um, a lot of the theaters are going to have it beginning um, toward the end of February. Um, I'm looking forward to it, of course. Um, it's based on a story by Grohl. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty excited to, to see that coming. Um, also, uh, the Foo Fighters are going to have um, an artist series Peloton ride uh, that comes out tomorrow. Uh, so uh, looking forward to doing that as well. Fantastic. Always good to have a good Dave Grohl story. Um, one thing I would uh, recommend is uh, before you urinate on someone, just let them know that you're going to do that before you actually start doing it. Speaking from it's personal like, experience, got it. Uh, personal experience, yeah. I think it's just kind of a you know, it's a respectful thing to do. Yes, just give him a heads up. I, you know, I think she took uh, took him as a volunteer. So I think That's he's right. well aware. Well aware. I don't think there's any lawsuit that could happen based on the angle. If if you haven't watched the video, you could watch the video. It is not safe for work, of course. And, but uh, uh, yeah, but yeah. Don't start. Don't start. You know, playing it during a, a meeting or something like that. You know. No. No. Right, so, fired. That's what it is. So. Uh, all right. Uh, so that is our show for today. Um, want to again thank Jim from the Yardbirds for taking the time. Um, Thanks, Jim. We don't. Yep. We don't currently have a show lined up for next week right now, so could have one. We'll uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Um, check us out on YouTube. All the fun stuff uh, to get the latest episodes. Um, that's our show. For all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve. Not from the Sex Pistols, Jones. We'll catch you next time. Later.
Oh, yeah, stop recording.